0: Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, it is. Hi, Em. All three episodes this week were so unbelievably chaotic.
1: Chaotic is literally the perfect word to describe it. Wow.
0: I was just so confused as to what was going on because it wasn't that they were so drama filled, they were, but it was more so just how bizarre everything seemed.
1: I almost feel like they were acid trip episodes of Housewives.
0: Okay, listen, Potomac was one thing, but Erica, her entire performance this episode was one of the stranger things I've ever seen. And I don't even necessarily mean that in a bad way. I was kind of just, yeah, you're right. I felt like I was a little bit on Molly or something along for the ride.
1: They were all acting almost like caricatures of themselves.
0: Yes, that is a perfect way to put it. And almost it seemed almost intentional.
1: I mean, wow, just really tens across the board all week
0: all week. Okay. So two news things we want to quickly discuss before we get into it. I'm sure you all saw the news that Portia and Cynthia are leaving Atlanta. I want to hear your reaction to this in terms of, were you surprised?
1: I wasn't surprised at all. Honestly, more about Portia, but because she has her own spinoff coming, it does make a lot of sense. And Andy's sentiments on both of their posts announcing that they were leaving seem Of course, very amicable, but also like this is more of a pause. Like I feel like it was the the same energy as when Dorinda said, "I'm leaving," where it was not a goodbye. It's more of a, "We'll see you later."
0: Right. Well, yes, there's definitely truth to that. I think it's interesting you say the Porsche thing because for me, I think that I was less surprised about the Cynthia one and a little bit more surprised about Portia. Even though I know she has her own TV venture, so it shouldn't be surprising. And I probably did see it coming. She, to me, is just such the root of Atlanta.
1: I know. And I really was looking forward to her whole new relationship with Simon playing out and how they'll factor that in with the whole Fallon element and how the other women will react. Like, Remember when that news broke, all we were saying was, holy shit, I can't wait to see like the other women being shady in their confessionals talking about it and how they found out and how it went down from their perspective.
0: Right, and that's the other thing, you know, let's just say hypothetically that Fallon either comes back as a friend of as a housewife or has any sort of involvement. I know what you were saying with Andy about the, you know, this is a pause wasn't necessarily referring to this. However, that does guarantee that like Porsche's name is going to be very heavily in the cycle.
1: It's got to be. I feel like it's sometimes hard to just completely remove someone when you've been in the group for so long and so many things involve you in a way. And if Fallon's going to be on the show, there's no way they'll be able to avoid it.
0: Yeah. No, I know. And then we'll get into this more in the Beverly Hills thing, but Kyle was on Watch What Happens. And two things that kind of happened this week with that. The first was, I'm sure you guys saw LVP said, that Kyle was the one spreading the rumors about Erica and Tom at Andy's baby shower. And when Andy asks Kyle about this, she kind of just says, you know, of course this is untrue. And she does a little bit of an LVP impression. And secondly, Andy asks her, what are your opinions on the claims Bethany made about Tom on her podcast? If you remember last week, what Bethany was saying was that it was kind of known within the industry that he was shady. And Kyle's response is, you tell me, whatever we were told, it's the same thing. And Andy says, she did tell us those things keep in mind,
1: Lisa Vanderpump is responding to something Camille Grammer said. So the story just keeps going and keeps getting more layered within the women. And it's just really crazy. I mean, I don't know what's true. I know I'm sure they all had heard things around. It is interesting because Bethany in her podcast calls out saying, I told Andy these things and her and Kyle have been friends for a long time. I'm sure she's mentioned it to her somehow over the years, maybe when Erica joined the show, but just interesting. And a lot of questions and a lot of things that came up on this episode of Watch Happens Live are things that they end up saying, we did discuss this at the reunion. So I'm sure we'll get more like full-fledged ideas and thoughts out that they didn't want to ruin now.
0: Right. I mean, listen, I definitely think that there's truth to the fact that Kyle was aware of rumblings, but no part of me thinks that she knew to the full extent. I just don't think so. No, no, no. I don't think anybody did. Okay, so shall we start with Salt Lake City? Please, let's do it. This is a really good episode. I mean, I know most of it goes down at the end, but I just love being in Utah. Like, I love that the most dramatic moment of the episode is gonna happen while ice fishing for trout. I mean, the
1: cinematography, the backdrop of Meredith slowly walking on the ice, and then they, like, the editors, I will say, oh, back to what we just said before. The editors were on their game this week in all three cities. They really were just making the most of it. Like They're speeding up her walking. They're adding definitions to things on the bottom. I mean, the Potomac don't even get me started, but it was very prevalent this week.
0: In the beginning of this episode, when Heather is talking to Whitney about how we meeting with Jen, it kind of goes off of what we said last week, where clearly Whitney is very skeptical and she knows, I think that Heather has the tendency to get pulled back into these toxic situations. But one thing you have to kind of applaud them on is that Heather isn't sugarcoating her version of the story just to tell Whitney. Like they have a very honest relationship where she knows she's not going to approve. She knows she may look stupid, but she's going to tell Whitney exactly what happened. Like she literally said verbatim, we're best friends again.
1: And they almost can just say, we're going to agree to disagree. You know where I stand on this. I voiced how I feel. I want to protect you, but you have to do you. And I think that is why they actually are such really good friends and have such a nice relationship.
0: Right. And family. Yes. In terms of this Dewey and Jenny situation with wanting more kids, I always feel a little bit awkward giving such a harsh opinion on this because it's not my marriage, but they're putting it out there. And so that's what we're going to do. I cannot tell you how not down I was for this scene. Like, I wasn't down in general when clearly she has voiced she doesn't want more children and he won't stop pushing. I even said it last week. I don't like that he did it in front of the kids. But when she says here that she had nine miscarriages and three C-sections, and clearly it is against the best medical advice to get pregnant again, on top of the fact that she just doesn't want to, to watch him completely disregard that and continue to push his own agenda, I actually was becoming infuriated. I don't know how it
1: happens. I'm sure there's some producer role where they have to understand what's going on in her life and create a storyline and something that we can like follow outside of the group. But it also just feels like such an uncomfortable thing to discuss, not just in front of other people, but on camera and then for the world to see, especially in your first couple episodes where you're just feeling it out. It's one of the most private things at, like ever. So I just felt like, whoa, I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here.
0: Right. But you know what? It made me feel as though this wasn't their first conversation about it. It wasn't like he's never brought this up before and he just happened to do it on camera. Clearly to me, this is a conversation they have frequently. And so one of the times was just caught on camera and I think she was absolutely livid. And I have to imagine, I don't know how the behind the scenes works, But I almost felt, I don't know, this could be wrong. There was a part of me that felt like he was purposely doing it on camera to put the pressure on her, which could have just been something I was coming up with in my mind because I was already so mad, but it just felt so wrong to me.
1: Yeah. And you could tell also that they'd spoken about it because she was like, you know where I stand on this basically. And that she's already said no a million times. I I just am curious if she'll open up to the other women about it. And also I know that there's a scene later where they're talking about it again and again, and she kind of explodes. So I just want to see how we get there.
0: Yeah. No, we will definitely. I mean, this is going to be a plot line that continues. It has to be.
1: Yeah. But I really love her.
0: I really love her. And I. it's not even that I dislike her husband necessarily. I don't know him well enough, but I. he went down a few points for me big time with this whole thing.
1: Yeah. Not great.
0: Okay, when Mary comes to Meredith's house when they're previewing the clothing for the store, I don't know why, but there's something to me that's always so funny about a Mary Meredith solo. So when you throw in Brooks, it's just like, okay, this this is an unlikely trio.
1: I feel like I really understand Mary now. We did not understand her at all last season like she was just, you know, she's a quirky character and you have to understand her and now I feel like I fucking get her and it all makes sense.
0: And doesn't it feel so good? Like it is so much more fun to understand her and then be able to appreciate it instead of trying to figure out what's going on.
1: Totally. I just get it. And I almost feel like if I went back and watched last season, it would all sort of make sense. It's just we didn't have any ease in with her. It was sort of like she just is who she is and we had to understand it. And now I feel like she's gotten more comfortable. She is more comfortable with the women. And I just, I, I really am enjoying her this season, I have to say.
0: Yeah, and this whole interaction with Brooks was a prime example of something we talk about a lot, where there is no better or quicker way to bond with somebody than to have a mutual enemy. And I think on top of it, it wasn't like both Brooks and Mary just disliked Jen. They both feel like they were personally hurt by her. And so clearly it was, you know, a little gossipy in nature. It wasn't like it was this whole heartfelt moment. However, they really did connect over that. And I think honestly, Brooks felt like seen by her.
1: I also like that it wasn't their first conversation. He literally described it basically as Mary has been his like Jen Shaw mentor and that they've spoken about this in the past. And this was just another time that they were sitting down to discuss it.
0: Right. And it just so happened to be at Meredith's, you know, overlooking Christian Cowan clothing. Yeah. It's casual. I'm I'm sorry. The moment out of any of these three episodes that goes into the chaotic theme is when Mary pauses the entire conversation because she needs silence to fart about Jen Shaw. And nobody flinched either. I I can't believe I just said that sentence and it just rolled off the tongue. (laughs) Like, what? 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 (laughs) And she's like, and and," when she says, no, this is the best part. She's saying it to Brooks and she's like, Meredith knows this about me. Like as if it's a known thing that she needs silence. Right, like that is just fact. Oh, okay, sure, go ahead. Yeah. This is the shit you don't get on any channel other than Bravo. I'm telling you that right now. Nope, nope, nope. Okay. Jen planning ice fishing. I have to say, let's give credit where credit is due. A pretty innovative activity, one that we haven't seen before necessarily.
1: Innovative, innovative, getting the group together. We love to see it.
0: Okay. First thing, kind of minor, but I just want to touch on it, is when Lisa comes over and greets Whitney and Heather. And you see Whitney almost get whiplash of like, Is this the same woman?
1: I love when a housewife reacts in the actual, like, real time moment because how easily she could have just given a fake "Hi, how are you?" and then in her confessional said that was so fucking weird. I didn't know what was going on, but you literally see her give like a such a confused facial expression while Lisa's going in to hug her.
0: Right. I mean, I really don't think that she necessarily knew what she was walking into. I have to imagine that. She, even though it was unsure if Meredith was coming, I have to imagine that she thought or at least recognized that the big blow up of the day would be between Jen and Meredith. Like, she wasn't expecting to have an issue with Lisa. I just don't know what she had anticipated the interaction was going to be at all.
1: Well, I think she's just used to being kind of snubbed by Lisa. Her number one complaint was always, Lisa thinks she's so much better than us. And for her to give her such a warm greeting after what they've been through and also how she's treated her in the past, I think she was like, okay, what is going on here?
0: Right. Meredith coming and sitting down next to Jen, I really felt like this was the type of scene where you could feel her, not in only anger, I'm going to say anger in a few seconds, but just walking in her intensity and like her intention of being there. It was so palpable in my opinion.
1: She arrived with purpose and to deliver a message and
0: she was not leaving until she did so. To me, this is the definition of gaslighting, what Jen was doing here. That is her go-to. It's so infuriating. There are so many methods of deflection or rerouting of a conversation that a person can do, and they all are frustrating just in existence. But this particular one, which is just straight denial and making you seem as though you are presenting facts that are untrue, which is simply not the case, that is enough to make a person go crazy. And What you were witnessing with Meredith was exactly that. It's like, listen, If you want to give your reasoning, give your reasoning. If you want to defend your actions, defend your actions. I can't agree with that, but at least then we can have something to talk about. If we can't even agree that the objective set of facts are true, then there's no conversation to be had here.
1: And how good do you think Meredith felt to be able to pull out her Twitter and show her with her own eyes that, yes, you did like this. And Jen's excuses are also just so weak. Every single one is weak and either a deflection or... Not true. Or again, her number one sort of plot line and her go-to is, woe is me. Poor me. I'm also the victim in this. No one else can be just the victim. She has to be also.
0: Well, first of all, if you didn't know who she was talking to and you just put a side-by-side of her talking to Heather last week in the igloo and then her talking to Meredith here, you wouldn't know which one was which because the excuse was the exact same. You know, Someone else runs my social. I have no idea. However, she kind of slipped a little with Meredith because once Meredith gets up and she goes over to talk to her, she then comes back in with, well, how do you think my kids felt? And it's like, wait a second, I thought the hill you were absolutely going to die on was the fact that you didn't run your own social. So now there is a side plot here, like choose a battle and at least be consistent.
1: And then on top of it, both quote battles are weak because they're either an excuse or just kind of not true. And I feel like she feels like, well, my kids also have to be considered in this, even though maybe they were embarrassed or a little bit offended, whatever happened in that scene, but not in any comparison to the way that Brooks feels.
0: Meredith has never spoken a word in person or on social media about her children. And you just can't say the same about Jen. And so I don't know, you know, I didn't really look too much on social media. I don't know how people reacted to this. I have to imagine more people were on Mary to the side, but I don't know if people felt like she was being overdramatic. I don't have kids, but I have to imagine that I would be the same way. Like you are a grown woman. This is my child in a fragile age of his life. Go fuck yourself.
1: And even if it didn't affect Brooks, I would expect her fully to be this angry and to be this upset and hurt. But then when she says, you know, it put Brooks in a really dark place, And this is not something you want to speak about. Like, this is so sensitive. And the fact that her child is suffering in any way because of what her friend is doing on social media is just like disgusting. And something we speak about is like that housewife guilt of. What if I hadn't done the show? You know, I kind of brought this upon my family and brought this drama into their lives, and now it's affecting my son. But here she has a specific person she can target it at. It's not like public scrutiny, it's literally someone that she has had in her home and considered a friend at one time. So, how infuriating must that be?
0: Right. And honestly, I mean, we've been talking a lot this season about how Lisa plays into all of this. And This is a moment where I understand she was just trying to do damage control. Like She wasn't going to necessarily take a side in the moment. I get it. She was in a really uncomfortable position. That being said, to me, if you're Lisa, how are you not watching this and becoming infuriated on Meredith's behalf of like, if they have their issues, have their issues. But for Jen to just so blatantly lie, I was hoping, and maybe she did. I don't know. We didn't see the fallout yet. I was just hoping that Lisa would almost have a come to Jesus moment. No pun intended.
1: Lisa is trying so hard to be Switzerland here and it's just not working out because there's just, there's no way it's going to happen. At a certain point, Meredith will say, if you can be friends with someone like that, who had said things about my child, who you have a relationship with, how can we even be friends? And how can I trust you as a person? They're just too fundamentally different that Lisa at some point is either going to have to pick a side or just have to let it go because she's trying so hard to fit a square peg in a round
0: hole. Yeah, but I'll tell you one thing. If Lisa and Meredith's many years of friendship actually collapsed over Jen Shaw and her denial about tweets regarding Brooks, that would be really sad. That would be actually disappointing almost.
1: It's really sad. But then again, here we are with Kyle and Lisa Vanderpump who had been friends for 10 plus years and they stopped being friends over a Radar Online article. You know, things happen. Bethany oh, and Jill, over a voicemail, you need to get a hobby. Like things happen.
0: No, they do happen, of course. I, you know, Lisa was panicked. Really, I, I felt because I genuinely think she loves Meredith, and not only loves her. I, I can't necessarily pick the right word because I don't think she is intimidated by her, or necessarily sucks up to her. But I think she values the way that Meredith views her so highly which isn't a bad thing i think that that's normal in relationships but she almost like puts Meredith on a pedestal in a way which could then be hypocritical based on the way she's acting towards Jen but i just felt like it was straight panic of like no i cannot have her be this upset here i almost felt like she felt personally responsible
1: right like i it's my job right now in this moment to make it right i agree i think she thinks of Meredith as one of her quote like elite friends Mm -hmm. And back to Whitney and Heather's argument, I think Lisa very much views social standing and society and money and fame and fashion. Like Everything really goes into play with her. So I think Meredith is one of those friends. And I think she just really likes Jen and likes her friendship with Jen. So she wants to make it work really badly. And to give her the benefit of the doubt, I think it is too because she loves both of them, but also because she knows that they had a nice friendship and that they – in their heart of hearts would maybe get along if they could put the bullshit aside. But I think at this point it's gone
0: too far. Oh, I I can't imagine a world in which it hasn't if I'm Meredith. But then again, who knows? You never know. Crazier things have happened. It's true. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. This is the type of episode where I want to talk the entire time just about what went down at Giselle's. Like, Let's spend maybe a minute or two on the Candace and Dorothy scene and Giselle on the phone with Robin. But like, this was insane.
1: No, it all went down in Giselle's driveway.
0: Seriously. And you knew that it was going to be messy when she's on the phone with Robin. And she genuinely, I don't know if it was for dramatic effect. In my opinion, it was an actual real thought that crossed her mind of like, I will not allow Wendy or Karen inside of my house to use the bathroom, which is just objectively a disgusting thing to say. But you know, that was really the depth of shadiness she was willing to go.
1: I feel like she felt so much power because the event was at her house and she felt like she finally had something sort of to be in control of. So it was like, oh, I could make the rules here. You know, whoever I like gets special treatment, whoever doesn't, whoever I don't doesn't.
0: Yeah. Although (laughs) in theory that could work except for that Every single person that walked in was rather judgmental of the setting here.
1: If she's going to be sensitive about her house, she's not going to like what she watches back when she gets this episode because not one person walked in. Even Robin, they all walked in. They're like, what the hell is going on here?
0: She's having an inspection done. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like Nothing about the actual architecture of the house. Who knows? It could come out beautifully they were in the middle of doing construction. Like Just for the noise levels alone, they could have had that same outdoor experience in somewhere else outdoors, just like how they did it last week, the goddess luncheon, you know what I mean?
1: Totally, it just was unnecessary all around, but you know what? She got to show off her closet and it was great
0: viewing for us. It was great viewing for us. I just sometimes wonder why housewives would do this when I have to imagine they know What the response is going to be. Like, I don't know, not even by the other housewives. Like, now you have the entire internet talking shit about your house. Like, you, you didn't have to do that. You kind of played yourself here. And this is the
1: funniest thing about Giselle. If she walked up to Karen's house or Wendy's house or even people, Candace, anyone's house, and it was under construction and there were construction workers and they're walking through the dirt and noise complaints, she would be going on and on about it until the end of time. And she would use it until she got every joke out of it that she could. But then when people are coming to her house, she expects everyone to be so understanding and, oh, of course they'll get it. You know, I'm just doing work and my house is going to look beautiful. And it's like, no, you know if the tables were turned, it would be a whole different ballgame.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess the thing with Giselle is that she definitely dishes it, but she can take it. You know, it's not like she would see what everybody's saying and say that she was hurt by it. I guess she just doesn't care.
1: I guess she doesn't care. And also she finds something else and sort of rebuttals. I don't know. She, I said this to you yesterday. She is the housewife's blueprint.
0: I know. I mean, I say this to you all the time. I feel like you and I are in the minority because a lot of people really dislike her. And we clearly recognize her flaws, but also think she's such a phenomenal housewife.
1: As a housewife, she's just, she's
0: great. One other quick thing, when Dorothy is in the kitchen with Candace and they're kind of talking about the Mia thing, obviously this is important because it gives her ammunition to when she actually does the confrontation at Giselle's. But Dorothy says, and I quote, I don't remember what I said, but I don't believe it was coming from a place of malice. (laughs) And then
1: they flash back to everything that she said.
0: (laughs) You said it last week, your exact words were, Dorothy's a little bit of a toxic woman And I just think it's such an accurate statement because she really, of course, adores Candace and I think would do anything for her, but she's a little bit unkind in her approach and it's really upsetting, actually.
1: No, and now she is making her daughter almost look worse by not giving her the full truth, but it's only to protect herself. And she doesn't want to look guilty like she was doing anything bad. But now Candace sort of has false info.
0: Right, and also, you know, like this would. Be off regardless if this was just a real friend group that wasn't filmed, but specifically because it's being filmed, it's almost like you are now doing your daughter a disservice in terms of potentially how she's coming across to the public. Because if she's not fully informed, she can't fight her case in the best way. That's
1: the thing. If this wasn't filmed and you wanted to cover your ass, all the power to you, Dorothy. But she's going to see it. And like, you know, you're only saving yourself for what, a couple of months until she gets the cut of the episode and says, wait a minute, mom you were talking shit and it was in
0: malice. Yeah. But she, I think that Dorothy, when it comes to Candace is a little bit of like a professional gaslighter because Mm -hmm. I don't foresee her necessarily fully apologizing or owning up to it. I see her twisting it again. We're talking in the future when Candace sees these episodes, but I see her twisting it to explain to Candace why it was actually a necessary conversation that she had or how she was just trying to help.
1: She was trying to help. Her friends were asking her questions. She wanted to be honest. She wasn't sure she's looking out for her. We know the whole drill.
0: Yeah. Okay. Reasonably shady at Giselle's. Where would you like to begin with this?
1: (laughs) I don't even know where to begin.
0: I mean, well, let's start out on a rather light note. Karen is bringing over the LaDom home products and Wendy is eyeing
1: her. I think Robin said this in her confessional. Like, You know, Karen hurried up real quick to get her candles out first. I just was imagining Karen like going down to the the facility that they make all her products and saying, "I need six of these stat. I gotta have them out first. I gotta give them away this weekend, and it's non negotiable because mine have to be packaged and perfect before anyone else sees anything."
0: Yeah, like she's in the assembly line.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she is. She put those labels on herself by hand.
0: Yeah, a a thousand percent. I mean. I think that a really good way to start here is just to kind of preface this entire scene by saying that every time we have ever said that the reason that Potomac is an elite franchise or the reason that it really stands above anyone else is because they say things to each other in person that no other franchise does, not New York, not New Jersey, not Atlanta, no one else. And to me, there was no episode more representative of that than this. They were throwing it all out there. It was like nothing they could say in their confessional was gonna be worse than what they were gonna say to each other's faces.
1: No, that's the thing. They give their confessionals in person, which I appreciate more than anything. And something else I'd like to tack on that also is unique to Potomac is their ability to bounce back because they'll be having the shadiest conversation, making digs at each other, fighting, yelling at each other. And then someone will say, okay, next question. And they all bounce back and can laugh about it.
0: Let me tell you something. Let's say we were in Beverly Hills, for example, and they're having this gathering, and somebody says to Dorit, "You know, I just want to tell you that before you got here, I was going to have a rule where you couldn't use the bathroom. Could you imagine what that would have been? That would have been three episodes worth. That is like one of the most insulting things you can say to another person. Like I was not going to give you the right to be able to (laughs) use my restroom." Here, it is glossed over in no more than 30 seconds.
1: No, it's just like a shady comment. It's not a whole start of a war. Whereas in another, you're right, Dorit's a good example, but anyone, it would be a conversation. You'd have to go to the group and see what they think, what she meant by saying that. It would have to be a sit-down lunch. It would then be a whole thing at the reunion.
0: Whereas here, it's glossed over. And another perfect example is when Wendy responds to that by saying, you know, I wasn't gonna come. And Giselle saying that Wendy's talked about her home. And Karen's like- Actually, I think that was me. And when he's like, No, I never (laughs) talked about your home. I talked about the way you dress. That was so that
1: was my favorite. That right that that says everything you need to know. Everything that we just said, that is the perfect example of.
0: I was losing it from Karen this episode. Honestly It's rare in Housewives where I audibly laugh and I was audibly laughing a lot throughout this just simply because of Karen. Same. You sent me a clip of Lisa Barlow talking
1: about her Del Taco fish tacos and you're like, holy shit, she is so funny. And I was like, listen, Lisa Barlow was funny this week and Mary was funny this week and Sutton was funny this week. Like a lot of people were funny, but Karen Huger, give that woman a goddamn
0: Emmy. Oh yeah, they all pale in comparison. She was... Tripping from her
1: vaccine. She was saying everything that came to her mind. She was so fucking funny and cute. Oh my God. Even when Ray gets that spam text and she's like, who's this woman? And she calls and says, this is Mrs. Ray Huger. Like, I know. I was LOLing, which rarely happens. And this just was killing me.
0: I know. I know. Also, the other thing is that. I love how they've all now acknowledged in their confessionals how Karen kind of does these drunk calls, <laughs> and I, which is like hilarious in and of itself. But what made it even better with this episode is that this behavior that she was exhibiting was actually a little bit reminiscent to them of these drunk calls. So they were all kind of into it. Like it wasn't like she was just being hilarious. She also had a very captive and willing audience because they loved this side of her.
1: Right, and they know it all too well. I love the recurring plot that Karen gets drunk and calls everybody. I would do anything for a drunk dial from Karen Huger. I would drop whatever I was doing. If I'm at a concert, I'm at a Broadway show, I'm shopping, I'm on a date. If I see Karen Huger calling and I know that she's had a couple glasses of Pinot Grigio, there's nothing that could stop me from picking up
0: that phone. I'm just like imagining you on a date And like you literally just get up and leave And the guy's friends are like what happened I don't know she got a call from us Karen Huger She said she was drunk she had to go Like I, I can envision that so clearly I'm like I'm so sorry
1: Karen Huger's calling me And I know that she got a new bottle of Dom Perignon tonight You like sent him La Dom as a, as
0: a thank you as an apology
1: Oh my god yeah Karen and I work out some deal Where anyone that I stand up at dinner because she calls me, I send them a candle.
0: Okay. (laughs) I love this scenario we've created. We're going to run with this joke.
1: Yeah. Okay. You know, we never let a joke die. God (laughs)
0: forbid. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her, but I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. I really appreciate a game with purpose because this is the type of game that really was just a way to say, let's air all the bullshit. And I understand, like, they did the same, a similar thing at the Goddess Lunch, but this was different. This was an unhinged, no bullshit. It was, everybody was acting as if they were three tequilas in, even though I think most of them were only a little bit tipsy, if not sober. And it was like the game was more so just a means to an end. And the end was, let's talk a bunch of shit.
1: If Giselle's gonna do something, it's play a game with purpose where she can shade people. You know? The game was called Reasonably Shady. By the way, adorable idea. Could be a game on Watch Happens Live, should be a game on their podcast. But it was a means to an end.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And whoever curated this list of questions, I have to imagine this was something to do with the producers. It was very well done because it hit on all of their individual issues with one another.
1: It almost was a parallel, not not perfectly, but almost parallel to In Beverly Hills this week, when they're playing Never Have Have I Ever, and someone says "stolen anything," and then they get into sexual stuff, but almost indirectly hinting at something that they wanted to get answered in the form of a game.
0: Yes, yes, different, but yeah, I understand.
1: Very different, but just like I was like, wait a minute, you know, everyone's trying to get a point here, and a game is the best way to get there.
0: So the first thing they really tackle is talking behind your friend's backs, and they get into. Wendy telling Candace at the shoot that Dorothy was talking to me or whatever. Here's my thing. This is exactly what we said last week. I think Wendy was hundred percent justified in telling Candace. I think it was objectively wrong. She was being a friend and giving her the heads up, but I do agree with them that doing it at the shoot. And I said this last week was just the wrong place.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: But I agreed with Wendy in
1: this scene where it was like, okay, fine. Maybe it wasn't the best time, but Hindsight's twenty twenty, and here we are, and it was fine. And Candace says she, she just knows me well enough that I w- should know in the moment, and I didn't react, and it went fine. Like, we can't keep going back to the past. Why is no one giving Mia any heat for actually saying it? Like, they only care about Wendy repeating it, where Mia is the one who was really saying the things that are a problem. And no one was like caring about that. I was so frustrated on Wendy's behalf of, about that.
0: Yeah, but the reason that they can't be mad at Mia is because they were doing the same thing. Not as bad, you know, none of them were to the same extent as Mia, but Giselle was right buddy buddy with Dorothy, as was Robin. And so to call out Mia in the way that Wendy was would just be so hypocritical for them, whereas Wendy did not say one word to Dorothy. So she can call out Mia for whatever she wants.
1: Another good Giselle moment is when they're basically saying, I didn't say anything, you know, but I did want to know the answer.
0: Like That's the thing. She owns it. She totally owns it. This back and forth with Candace and Mia about the low budget video and the low budget mom thing. Oh.
1: It was cringy because I think Robin said it in her confessional. Candace, I don't believe knows Mia's background or what saying her, anything about her mother Like means to her. And that's just the problem. When you don't know something about someone, you could hit a nerve or say something so insensitive without meaning for it to cut as deep as it really is going
0: to. Right. And also it's just so hypocritical of Candace because as you know, one of the most memorable scenes when they're in Dorothy's house and her and Ashley really get into it and she says, don't talk about my mom. Exactly this. Yeah. But here she is talking about her. I mean, Candace does do that in the moment. She can be very biting. They all can. Absolutely. They all can, but it wasn't, I guess I should say it wasn't a surprising rebuttal.
1: No, it definitely wasn't surprising, but it means so much more than she
0: even knew. When Ashley chimes in and Candace responds, were you there beloved? Good night.
1: No, I love how much they hate each other. I'm sorry. I know it's fucked up, but I do. And because they do it in such a funny, interesting way where they both have almost the common respect for how much they hate each other, that they just play with it.
0: It's so enjoyable. You are so right. I can't help it.
1: I can't help it. I love it. I love their dynamic. And do I wish they could be friends? Yes, because I do think that they have a lot in common and would be really funny as friends, but I like them even better as enemies
0: we get to the mic drop of it all, the final punchline when Robin says, is it reasonable or is it shady to be concerned about dramatic changes to your friend's appearance after cheating rumors about their husband's emerge?
1: <laughs>
0: like, oh, okay. Can you be a little more specific? <laughs> how'd, you, how'd you come up with that one? <laughs> yeah, wow. What a crazy scenario you got there. I mean, this is wild. And again, Wendy's direct response, It would only be reasonable if the same blog that reported it didn't also report that you had an STD. Amazing comeback. This was one where I was so happy
1: she kept it short and sweet and she had thought about this and done her research and perfect, just
0: perfect. I'm curious about your opinion on something because when Wendy kind of brings up to the group that she heard that they were talking shit about her at Robin's birthday and Robin's response is like, we weren't talking shit about you. We weren't talking about you because we were kind of just analyzing the interaction in the way that we normally do. What was your thought on that particular thing, given the fact that I feel like as the viewer, we actually had a better insight to that than Wendy since we actually saw the dinner go down?
1: Well, it's exactly that. Wendy didn't know firsthand, which I think already makes your argument a little bit weaker, but also I was totally on Robin's side. I mean, I feel like, yes, her name was being said technically, but just because you're being talked about doesn't mean you're being talked about, if that makes sense. They were talking about the group, the experiences, kind of the dynamics of what's going on. And of course she's involved in that, but they weren't piling on gossiping, talking shit about her.
0: Right. And also because, I mean, that's housewives one-on-one, something happens and then they spend the rest of the episode kind of just like breaking it down. I also think that personally for me, I get frustrated when Wendy does this because she has so many legitimate things to be upset about that for this to be the hill she's gonna die on, I think it just weakens the rest of her argument. Like I I honestly understood in that moment why Robin was getting annoyed because it was annoying. It was like, there's so many real things you can be annoyed about. Like don't choose this one, don't make this the hill you're dying on.
1: Especially when you don't even know for certain that it's true.
0: Yeah. I don't know. You know, I the thing that's happening with Wendy is that I feel like she has her guard up which is so understandable based on what went on. But I sometimes feel and this is very similar to what happened uh when they were doing the pamper party for Ashley that it's just the women are becoming some of the women are becoming increasingly frustrated with like the performativeness of some of her responses. Yeah, I, I don't know I don't know the best way to really put it. Obviously she's also getting increasingly frustrated with Giselle's shadiness and her bullshit. But I feel like I don't know. I can't explain exactly what I mean, do you kind of know?
1: I, I totally know. I think they're just like, oh, Wendy, like this is not who we knew you as and they almost feel like they can tell when she's putting on verse when she's not.
0: right. Also, I want to just quickly talk about the couple's trip because she introduces us to the group and shades Giselle in the process, which yeah, it's a you know kind of a low hit, but also Giselle probably would have done the exact same thing if the roles were reversed. And my first question to you is, is there any chance Juan Dixon comes?
1: I don't think so because I think it would only be so that Robin could prove a point and at that point it's like what the fuck am I doing here? Also did you hear Candace when they asked oh I would love for Michael to come and Candace under her breath is like I hope he doesn't. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. honestly I was so on the same page with Candace at that one. Same and that's just the shade we love to see. I can't help but feel as though Wendy I don't want to say she gets enjoyment out of Giselle's singleness but that's exactly what I mean. She gets enjoyment out of Giselle not having a stable relationship.
1: 100%. It's a it's an open like low-hanging fruit of a joke.
0: Yeah. Anything else from this episode? It was really a wild ride. I mean, I didn't know that Karen on Moderna or whatever it was was just a whole other beast.
1: What about Grace pulling out Kansas's car? The best part of the episode. <laughs> you I know was... how we feel about Grace driving.
0: I know, but listen, we have been Grace's number one fans. I still was watching that in slow motion when Candace was handing her the Lexus keys. I was like, come on, we we don't need to do this now. When she
1: rolled over the rock and scraped the front bumper, I literally was like gripping the
0: side of my couch. Couldn't you so easily put yourself in Robin's shoes of being in the front seat?
1: I put myself more in Grace's shoes where I've scratched up some cars in my day.
0: Oh, have you? Mm, That's awesome. (laughs) That's for another time. Anything else or should we go to Beverly Hills?
1: Let's go to Beverly Hills.
0: Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Like I said in the intro, this episode was an absolute trip. Like I know we were in San Diego, but we absolutely could have been rolling face at some EDM concert.
1: I got to tell you, the Beverly Hills women and all housewives in general do really well at a wine tasting, and that just set the whole tone.
0: Yes. And in addition to obviously them becoming increasingly more tipsy, I think the setting of just being in a vineyard really just chills everyone out.
1: And it's like you're allowed to drink that much because that's the activity and it sort of just happens by accident. You're, you're just falling into it. And even Crystal's like, oh, I dumped it in my mouth instead of dumping it in the bucket. And that's sort of just how it
0: goes. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the whole thing here was like very fun, but in terms of the actual points to touch on before the dinner, I don't think we mentioned this last week. I don't know how we didn't, but you know, Kyle and Re are telling Sutton about how Erica, when they were at the beach said that Tom was allegedly unconscious for 12 hours. And of course that whole word allegedly was really paid attention to more closely this week because that is directly opposite to the conviction with which she's told the story previously. And so I know that they had all acknowledged it in their previous confessionals, but here they are telling Sutton, which to me, you know, added a little something.
1: I think if she had been using the word allegedly all along, no one would have thought anything, but it was so clearly a new thing. And I think Kyle's assessment is accurate that she was advised by legal that if she uses that word, it doesn't make it fact. And she knows that everything she said is going to be somehow documented and used against her again.
0: Yeah. Which I also agree with. I mean, I just want to give a quick honorable mention to Sutton's confessionals here because it was like every time something wild happened with Erica when she was behaving in a way that just seemed so irrational, it was as if the producers made a conscious effort to make Sutton almost like the narrator or the keeper of logic in a way. Yes, she totally is. In terms of this dinner, one of the first things I want to say, there's no way we can cover it all, but you know, we talk a lot about how sometimes what they say in their confessionals either differ too drastically from how they're behaving at the table, or sometimes we say, yeah, it may come across as inauthentic, but also there are just some social norms that you're not going to say the same thing to someone's face. And I felt like they all kind of had this collective understanding that they developed over the night that like, Erica was on one and this is not the time to come at her or come for her or even to try to engage with curiosity. Like It just wasn't going to end well. And also I think that they were almost basking in her being a little bit more playful. So when Erica says, what I'm going through sucks, this man's done a lot for a lot of people, people can step up. And then in Dori's confessional, she says, yeah, he did a lot of good things, but also if he's being accused of what he did, he did a lot of really bad shit. I personally and I know we've been like a little bit hard on to read about this. I didn't think that this was an example of like oh she's being so fake. You know, I just felt like she didn't want to go there. It would have it would have become so nasty.
1: Yes, but it also makes me think what we spoke about last week that Erica accomplished what she set out to do. She wanted to set this barrier and this precedent that If you fuck with me, I will make it a huge deal. So now everyone is just biting their tongue and saying, you know what, I'll say it in my confessional, I can think it, but face-to-face, I'm not going to go there.
0: Right. But it's honestly, it's a similar goal, but it's actually a different tactic because it was almost like the previous episodes, she instilled the fear of God or a sense of intimidation in all of them. And now here she's flipping the switch and she's behaving so fun, so playfully to the point where she wants to create an environment so bizarre that anybody making it more serious would actually end up looking like the worst one. You know what I mean? She's like, kind of manipulating their emotions in a way. I don't know how conscious it is, but it's just it's so bizarre. I think she knows what she's doing. I, I know, I I do as well. And you know, she knows that when she can get super outlandish and just like the crazier she appears, the less willing they are to engage in that way, I feel.
1: Yeah, and she's also making up for the dramatic kind of scenes that she's created the last couple of dinners and saying, "Look, I can have this side of me too."
0: This whole thing with her son, because obviously they're talking about how he's doing, and she brings up how he thought that she was sleeping with the neighbor, which they didn't say it in the episode, but her neighbor's army hammer, apparently.
1: Well, there was a whole thing on Dumas about this at the time that they were neighbors and there was something going on with them. And then there was a leaked photo, allegedly, of his Finsta where he posted like a photo of Erica in lingerie and was like, hey, look at my new neighbor. Talk about literally the weirdest fucking situation in the entire world. And the fact that they brought it up in this episode was insane. And also showed a headline like Erica Jane and Army Hammer are neighbors.
0: I mean, it's wild.
1: Also, this was in the peak height of the Erica articles coming out and all of the accusations against Army Hammer coming out. So both of them at the same time and then being linked, it was really crazy.
0: Let us not forget, by the way, that there was the whole rumors about her and Scooter Braun. You remember that?
1: Yes. Oh my God. That's also crazy.
0: And it was like very, I mean, I'm trying to remember it at the time, but it was all wrapped into like some sort of this sex club or something. I'm not saying any of it was real. I'm just saying those were the rumors that were circulating. Remember?
1: Yeah. Things got really wild on those rumors, I got to say.
0: <laughs> when Kyle asks her son's thoughts on the Instagram and Erica responds, not a goddamn thing. I said, mommy's broke and paying the goddamn bills. <laughs>
1: Like, I don't know whether to laugh or cringe.
0: Or cry or like...
1: Yeah. It's it's sad. It's really fucking sad.
0: I really feel like... Okay, don't get me wrong. I definitely agree that Erica knew what she was doing here and some of it was manipulative and she was being a little bit theatrical, like a thousand percent. I also do think... It could have been a little bit what was going on where Sutton said, like, I may have lost my mind too if I lost all my money overnight. Like I think we are watching a woman just crumble. It's kind of unique, I guess, that you would get such an intimate understanding of somebody in this exact position because they would be filming a reality show when they are simultaneously surrounded by so much wealth. So it's like the most stark reminder of the lifestyle they had for the last 25 years, yet it's slowly slipping from their fingers. I, I do think you're kind of watching her crack in a way.
1: Totally. I mean, imagine her trying to just act normal, do her normal things as if this is just another season of Housewives and hanging out with the girls and talking about fluffy bullshit when behind the scenes or when you get back home, she's dealing with this insane, huge public legal trauma to her and to her family. Her husband is like crumbling, getting a conservatorship, going into a home and then she just has to show up for work and act like nothing's going on. I mean, not that she is, but it must really fuck with you. And yes, I have don't have sympathy because of what went on actually, but I can feel for her a little bit that this is just not normal.
0: Right, right. I also just wanted to say like I love Garcelle. She is hands down in my top 3. But when she says the line in her confession, like I think it's all phony. Everyone's kissing Erica's ass. Not that she's wrong about that, but she wasn't coming for Eric either. Like she was doing the same thing because they all were because it was the like logically sound thing to do in this moment to not have to deal with another blow up.
1: See, I kind of agreed with her because it would be one thing if they were staying silent, but Kyle especially and even Dorit they and Rinna too kept chiming in saying, "You're such a good friend. You're always there for us. You always support us. You know, we know you're going through the hardest time." Like they are de- they're like petting her, you know? And I just feel like if I'm Garcelle sitting at that table, I'm fucking annoyed, especially when I've seen what they say behind their back, aka Dorit, that's not what you said the other night. They're going above and beyond. They're not just saying silent, nodding along, saying, you know, we get it. We're here for you. They are really, I don't know. I felt a little bit of a suck up energy and I can't lie. And I, I did feel her in that moment, but you're right. It's also not like she's chiming in and saying anything either.
0: Well so are you saying because she was just like more silent and she wasn't necessarily kissing up she also wasn't coming out you think that you think that there's a a clear differentiation between just not saying a word and then like outwardly making comments Yes I do Okay I can understand that argument yeah. That's that's true But but either way she still agrees I guess I mean, she must, because if she didn't, she would have done it. That, like, poking at Erica in this moment wasn't the move for anybody's sake.
1: Yeah, no, she was remaining neutral. She wasn't trying to start shit, but she also wasn't trying to, like, comfort Erica and make her feel better and hype her up.
0: Right. And probably the most shocking turn of events here Erica switches off this rather chaotic persona to then kind of have some endearing words towards Sutton. You know, she compliments her on what it took to get her store going and chartering the plane to come see her on Broadway. And, like, all very specific anecdotes that she clearly admired and had a lot of respect and gratitude for. But if I'm sudden, I'm like, okay, what the fuck is going on? It was kind of like Whitney when Lisa hugged her.
1: Yeah, it was also, she wasn't expecting Erica to speak to her at all. So then for her to acknowledge her and be praising her and thanking her and bringing up memories that they have together was really, Erica was just very flip-floppy
0: this episode the best way that I can kind of put it is like, you know, sometimes we say, okay, well, she's damned if she does, damned if she does. Not necessarily with Erica, but with different housewives. It's like everybody wanted her to be nice. And then once she's nice, people come for her. that whole like mindset kind of thing. Yes. Yes. Okay. The way that I felt in this situation is that it wasn't as black and white because yes, obviously, you know, net, net, it's better that Erica is being kind towards Sutton and not coming at her as aggressively as she did, but also like That's a a kind of abusive behavior. Like it's very emotionally toxic and manipulative to come at somebody so strongly to the point where you will not even acknowledge their words. Like Sutton tried two nights ago and she says, Do not speak to me. I will never speak to you again, basically. And then all of a sudden to come at her with these loving words. To have no in between, it's, if you talked about this to a therapist, they would say it's very concerning.
1: It is concerning, and by the way, it's probably a huge mind fuck for Sutton, and she now
0: even more doesn't know how to feel. Right, and also, how do you feel safe, or how do you feel grounded moving forward in a friendship when it was there wasn't a resolve? No, you went and from it- I don't have want, have no desire to ever hear your voice. Why are you speaking to me? To hear all. of thing here are things that I appreciated about your character. And it's like, those are nice things. I don't mean to take away from the compliment, but to not allow for a bridge, what it does is it makes Erica 100% in control of the situation. It is such a power dynamic play. It's like when I decide that things are okay, they're okay and there's no more word about it. And that's not how adult relationships operate. No,
1: and she'll never be able to trust Erica again because she could feel that they're in a good place and then it could switch and vice versa.
0: Yeah, I mean, Erica's whole thing is like, I just didn't want to ruin everyone else's trip. I don't which think it's bullshit. As, bullshit. Yeah, that's bullshit. I mean, I don't first of all, she had no problem doing it. And second of all, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think it's a clear power play.
1: And it is so obvious that between when they're like sort of making up when they're walking to the boat, which we'll get to in a second. And when those confessionals like of Erica in the blue shirt are filmed, that more shit goes down because her tune totally changes. She's like, I don't fucking like her. I didn't want to make up with her. I just didn't want to ruin it for everyone. You didn't have to do that to not ruin the trip. There was way more gray area there. So it, to me, signals that things get really bad again between when these things are filmed.
0: Well, that's the thing. She could have, I mean, to go off of our previous conversation with the Garcelle thing, like she could have stayed silent. I'm not saying the compliments weren't nice, but if she didn't want to ruin everyone else's trip, she could have just simply not had an issue with Sutton.
1: Right. You can just not talk, be cordial enough and not say anything good, bad, or not really go up to her and say, I lashed out, I'm sorry, apologize, and having a whole conversation about it.
0: And it's not just Erica in the blue confessional. It's also Sutton in the red dress confessional that you can tell shit went down because a lot of times what they do in their confessionals is they, you know, they try to react as if they're in the moment and Erica was like incapable. Not only incapable, she she was unwilling to.
1: Yes, she was completely unwilling.
0: Yeah. Few other things just before the boat at pickleball when she tells Kyle she is $0. I mean, it's just she really
1: has these moments with Kyle and I feel like she views it as her opportunity to get things out there.
0: I think so too. And then also when they're talking about her on the balcony with sudden and she can hear. They weren't talking shit, but that's maybe my worst nightmare.
1: They were actually saying nice things like, wow, she was great, especially because Rinna was on the other end of the call. They were all admiring how she was in such good spirits and they hadn't really seen that side of her. But it was funny of Erica to shut it down because she knew it would only be worse. And then also like if you know that people are talking about you and you don't say anything, like then does that incriminate you too? I don't really know.
0: I know. It's a weird situation. I mean, just in general, the whole idea of like your hotel room isn't as safe of a place as you thought it was is a little bit scary. Very scary. Okay. Before they get on the actual boat, when she's walking with Sutton on the dock and she kind of just apologizes to her and says, we can keep moving forward. Here's my thing like, again, it kind of came out of left field, but this to me was a little bit more of the in between that I was expecting. Although, it still had the tone of like, I'm in control and I get to say when we are fine and when we're not fine. That being said, this was more similar to the type of conversation I was envisioning pre the compliments at the dinner.
1: Okay. Yeah. But I also think between even having any sort of confrontation or discussion at all, there still needed to be another step. Last week, it was a, I literally never want to see you or speak to you again. And now here they are walking together. Like there had to be some little bit of a step between. And Erica, when they're explaining what happened to the group, even says, it's not kumbaya, but it's an opening. I'm in a good mood. The moment is right. She's receptive. That's all you can do. Like if I'm Sutton, I'm blindsided that this was even a possibility that she would even speak to me, let alone want to say, let's move forward and make up at all. Like I would be like, what just happened?
0: Well, right, because it's just a factually abnormal way of handling a conflict. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Don't you do you do you think that I'm correct though in terms of the power dynamic thing, that, that that was Erica's main intention?
1: No, I do. And I think Erica that's her tactic in every conversation and everything that goes on with this. I mean, even think about what we were saying when she wants to set the tone of what the conversation and the mood at dinner is. That's a power dynamic thing. She wants to have the upper hand. At all times, and sort of be able to control as much as possible.
0: I personally think it comes from two places. I think one, it comes from the fact that she feels like, you know, the silver lining to all of this stuff that's going on is that she's kind of making the season in a way. I know the other women are, but in her mind, like, you know, this is the biggest plot, and it is. It's drawing drawing a lot of viewers. It's very interesting. So I think she has like a little bit of the main character thing going on. And then second to that, I think that you know, she has felt, as we find out more and more now, very much in Tom's shadow. She really had no say in their relationship. I do believe that to be true. And so I think that, you know, a lot of times when people feel such a lack of control for what's going on around them, they take it out in other areas of their life. Some people do it, you know, with with food. Some people do it with other activities. And I think with Erica, she is channeling all of the power she never had in her relationship with Tom and now wanting to like pray on quote what she views to be weaker people.
1: Right. It's true. I mean, she definitely has the main character syndrome thing going on. When they announced that the Beverly Hills reunion was four parts, she was like, and why do you think that is? Because of me. She's a little bit proud of it in a way. And I think you're right. Also, she has no control over what the press and other people and everyone talking say about her. So if she can shift the show's narrative a little, I think she views that as a win.
0: I think so too. I think so too. And also, let's not forget, like, this is her biggest paycheck. What do you think she's making? 350 Like, she's making a, a decent salary from this, absolutely. Obviously yeah. not to support her old lifestyle, but I think, she wants- yeah, and I think she wants to secure her spot for next year. Totally. Okay. Never have I ever. I will never not love one of these.
1: I love every minute of this.
0: You knew Kathy Hilton was a freak.
1: I knew Kathy Hilton was a freak. Are you kidding me?
0: Of course. I, you know- I think that if this scene with Sutton crying to Kathy had come out like in the beginning of the season, I would have, I don't know, I don't think I would have viewed it as kindly as I am right now. I felt like it was so genuine. I felt like it was the first time when she, you know, actually got out of Erica's orbit of just like harshness and was allowed to just feel her feelings kind Mm of. And it was like once, you know, Erica was away for a moment and she could just be in the safe environment with Kathy. She was kind of like processing how traumatic of a confrontation that all was and has been for the last few weeks. And I I genuinely thought that this was a real moment. I did
1: too. I mean, this is nothing like she's ever probably dealt with before. It's really harsh and it's new and it's uncharted territory. And of course she's allowed to feel those feelings and I'm glad she could have a release and that little cute Kathy was there to listen to her.
0: I know. I love when Kathy walks on the boat and she's like, hi, Kathy Hilton. Like, I just want a compilation of Kathy introducing herself, first name, (laughs) last name, to any people she interacts with.
1: On Watch What Happens Live, when Andy asks her, like, oh, what do you think about Erica's apology to Sutton? She's like, what? Andy's (laughs) like, have you watched any of the episodes? And she's like, huh? (laughs) Kyle's like, didn't you watch them before the reunion? And Kathy's just like staring off into space.
0: The reason... And then we can conclude, but I just want to say the reason that Kathy Hilton is such a unique addition to this show or to any show in general is because oftentimes any friend of, and this is across any franchise, whether it's Michelle on New Jersey or I don't know, the list goes on and on the friends of are so thirsty for not only camera time, but also any sort of relevance. And this is like the coolest thing that's ever happened to them to be on a Bravo show. Whereas for Kathy, this is like the least cool thing that's ever happened to her. This is just for sport. She's doing it completely for fun. And so she can act 100% authentically herself because she doesn't care about camera time. She's happy to leave the vineyard early and go get a massage. She's happy to sleep through five scenes. She doesn't need to have a lot of camera time. She's just doing this because it's a fun activity she wants to do with her sister. And so that's why we're getting such a real version of her.
1: Right. Like she's not trying to snatch the center diamond. It's true. We've talked about it since the very beginning. And I think it's become even more and more apparent as we get to know her and see the
0: scenes that she's filmed. Totally, totally. Anything else that we are forgetting? I mean, there's no way we could touch on it all, but any major things?
1: No, great episode. Next week is the finale and then we get the fucking reunion and I'm like beyond, beyond excited.
0: I'm so excited. We're going to have to really, I said this, I don't know if you listened to the Kardashian episode we put out um, yesterday, but I said that to the audience. I was like, we're going to have to switch up some of the days here because there's no reason to come out with a Bravo episode on Friday if Beverly Hills is on Wednesday, especially in the reunions. Like we should try to release it on Thursdays.
1: Yeah. And maybe depending what you guys want, we can focus more on the reunion, less on an episode depending on what the week is like, but yeah, we'll see.
0: Okay. Well, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks for letting us do this and we will see you next week. Let's talk about baby making for a second, because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be. Meaning, there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy, that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits, they're kind of revolutionizing the Conception Aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find to Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.